0: Hey there, conductors, if you've ever felt that you're not quite sure what to do next when you're studying a score, maybe you don't even know where to start with a difficult piece, maybe you study one piece too much and then you realize at the first rehearsal that you don't know another one well enough, or maybe you're a new conductor and you don't know what score study is. I'm excited to share that I'm finally publishing and sharing my score study checklist. I've been refining this for 12 years now, and I'm so excited to share it. It is going to walk you through my structure, my process to make sure that I learn every score that I need to learn well enough and so that nothing falls through the cracks. So it covers everything that you need to know. There's a link in the show notes. Go ahead and click it, sign up, and you'll get that score study checklist sent right to your email. You'll also get access to an eight-minute video of me explaining what each section is and how I use it to organize all the music that I need to learn. It's only eight minutes, so it's not going to take you a whole hour to learn how to study better, how to put up a process for your score study and how to make sure that nothing is falling through the cracks. So again, click the link in the show notes, and I hope to see you soon. Now, please enjoy this episode of Podium Time. Welcome to Podium Time, the podcast for conductors and students.
1: And having said, people don't expect a gesture when you're seated. There is one way that that's not true, which is... If in rehearsals you've always given a certain cue because <laughs> you think that you need to give it, you've created this non-verbal contract, and that applies as well when you're not playing, when you're just conducting. And so I, I was conscious of, they're going to get this from my right hand here, um, so therefore I better not be playing a note, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the beat before because I've got to have my hands.
0: Hello, this is Jeremy welcoming you to another episode of Podium Time and another season. Um, We are over one year old now, which is really exciting. We've grown a lot, especially this past summer. So thank you to all the new guests that we have listening and our new followers on Facebook. Today we're talking with Benjamin Rouse, and we had an interview with him earlier this summer in which we talked about film, accompanying film, and these movies at the symphony concerts that have become so popular. Um, I have some tickets to some later this season that I'm really excited about. So I'll finally get to see what all, what all the hype is. Um, and I actually have the opportunity to go to the same Home Alone concert that he conducted. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll come back and, and let everyone know, know how it was. Um, But this episode is talking about Ben's other interest, which would be conducting from the harpsichord. Now, Ben's path into this is a little different than than the usual um, soloist conductor. Usually the pianist or soloist will go from their instrument, from the keyboard, into their conducting spotlight. Um, But Ben was a conductor who picked up the keyboard to play harpsichord. So we talked with him about that and some of the uh, difficulties and rewards that come from working in this fashion.
2: Yeah. So um, as a, as a pianist myself, and one of the things that kind of interested me in conducting in the first place was watching Uchida conduct uh, Mozart's 23rd piano concerto with the Chicago symphony. And Hmm. she did it from the piano. And I was kind of blown away that she she, the, the fluidity she had between, you know, standing up and conducting the orchestra to sitting down, you know, without missing a beat and then, you know, playing with one hand and conducting with another and um, just how well she was able to do both those things was really interesting to me. And I noticed that in your uh, your bio on your website, you had mentioned that you have, you know, led from the harpsichord before. Um, and so I was kind of interested in what's your process? how is it, How does conducting as well as performing with the musicians, how does that change what you do? Uh, It changes it immensely for me.
1: And it changes what the musicians have to do also immensely. Um, Most people who conduct from the keyboard have a keyboard instrument as their primary instrument. And mine is violin. I played violin. I picked up viola pretty seriously in high school and continuing afterward. I've always played violin and viola about equally. And I, uh, my training on keyboard instruments is extremely scattered and piecemeal, and I will never be <laughs> a fluent keyboardist the way I'm a fluent violinist. It'll always be a foreign language to me. So for me, the conducting gesture type stuff is what I know how to do. And the playing is what I have to kind of think about and concentrate on. And I think for most people who do this combination, it's the opposite Mm -hmm. that, that they are, they move from the, in the case of Uchida's case from the piano out rather than from, from, from the down. (laughs) Um, and I would never attempt to do this with it, even though I could conceivably teach myself a Mozart piano concerto. I would never attempt to do it. I I have no business performing on a Steinway. I <laughs> learned about continuo and harpsichord uh, in grad school, and I learned the ways in which that is radically not the same as playing a piano. And the first time that I did this with Virginia Symphony, we. Um, I was told that we did not have the budget to bring into town a harpsichordist. Um, and I was dissatisfied with our Stein, you know, experts on the Steinway, who were experts on orchestral keyboard, but weren't trained on continual playing, playing realizations that were written out in you know pretty i don't know how to characterize keyboard uh, continuo realizations you know some they go into print you get the baron writer parts it comes with a with a baron writer insignia key chord uh realization <laughs> of of the continuo and yeah. and it looks kind of like a very boring piano part that it would be hard to make it sound good, no matter what your training was. And it's not really how continual harpsichordists play. So it's, well, sometimes I would take those and mark them up. I had done that before with a you know, symphonic keyboardist. Well, OK, well, well, don't play all that, but then play all this extra stuff in these pencil markings. Or sometimes I did it from scratch. And it was taking a really long time. and didn't really have the results I wanted. Um, so I decided, all right, I, I should do this right. And I should do it myself, even though I'm going to have to practice for a crazy amount of time in order to even play the right notes because mm. I'm not a proper <laughs> keyboardist. I decided that was um, probably the best way to get the results I wanted and also interesting for the musicians because when both of your hands are on the keyboard, as they should be a fair amount of the time, the orchestra, in my view, is essentially a chamber on some.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You can indicate what you think is important by where you look right you can sort of bob your head it doesn't n- none of that has the same effect as, Pro- as properly standing and conducting of course you might not have much of effect standing and conducting if you're not doing it right or you know <laughs> if the musicians won't let you have an effect one of those two things but that's another can of worms but <laughs> to me To me, the musicians are much, much, much more um, functioning as a chamber ensemble. In the case of me playing continuo on harpsichord or uh, a piano soloist playing a piano concerto. You you see people conduct the two Ds and then you see them sit and you sometimes see them when they've got a passage that has only one hand, use their other hand for something. But once you're sitting at the keyboard, I don't think the musicians mu- expect much from you visually, mm-hmm. and it would actually be sort of confusing to them if you tried to do something visually that really, really changed what they were doing. Just because they don't, they're not expecting it, and they're not expecting that their colleagues will also react to it. So they'll be going out on a limb if they're doing something radically different based on what you're doing, reaching up with one hand. So, in my view, you do really have minimal effect once both hands are down. The difference between a piano concerto and um, Baroque repertoire with the harpsichord, I think is that you're pretty much always playing something in your left hand, but there are many more times that you can do nothing with your right hand. You can play Tasto. You can just, meaning just the bass. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are, there are times that I've done that. Uh, In one concert, I had a set up with my harpsichord on, Blocks so I could stand and play with the left hand without reaching too far down, and I was I was fully standing up so that I could conduct with the right. And then I actually did whole opening tuttis of Vivaldi Concerti, in which I conducted the tutti with my right hand and I played the continuo tasto with my left hand. Now, that was a concert that I also had. I really arranged a full. Continual group. I had a I had a second harpsichord that we brought in from out of town, and I had a lutenist with a theorbo and a lute and a, and a, a baroque guitar as well, um, and and so we mixed and matched if we were going to have double harpsichord to pile on the sound for the two trumpet concerto where we would get obliterated because it's trumpet soloists and people are playing out so we had two harpsichords and sometimes I simply stood and conducted and didn't play at all sometimes I would play on a lute stop the other harpsichord would would you know play full or something like that so we, we could we could mix and match um, but basically my view is orchestras can function much more as chamber ensembles when you're in that type of a situation and they should, and it's interesting for them and it's good for them. And it makes, it gives them variety. And, and uh, in the, in that Baroque repertoire, I think it, it kind of suits the energy of Baroque music better to do it that way. Mm -hmm. So um, that's kind of a, that's kind of a broad blanket answer to that. I'm not sure. Um, what other parts you wanted to talk about? Because there are lots of ins and outs to that. I mean, do you... Uh, I don't know what I'm trying to ask. That's <laughs> this, this is my bad way of answering questions. I like I, it's too sprawling, and there's no way to respond. I'm sorry. No, it's
0: okay.
2: <laughs> it's all very good that's information. The way, that's my <laughs> I, I definitely find it interesting that you uh, that you kind of just learn the parts that. I mean, so how much time would you say it took you to, like, sit down and realize all that out? And
1: Oh, yeah. So, how, yeah, how specifically do you do? I, um, the first thing I did like this was the uh, Bach Oboe d'Amore concerto. And uh, I've done, I think, I think only two other... Programs this way one was a bunch of Vivaldi concerti with that big continual group two other players plus me oh. you know piccolo concerto uh, double double trumpet concerto etc etc I also did Battaglia by Bieber on there and, and uh,
0: oh, that's a
1: good one a couple other things mm-hmm. um, but the I, I've also done. Uh, Four Seasons complete and the Bach uh, orchestral suite C major. That program with just me, one harpsichord and uh, and uh, strings and obviously solo violin for the for the Vivaldi Four Seasons. Um, well, first of all, Bach is so much harder. He made <laughs> because of the way because of the way he writes bass lines because he writes. Contrapuntal music at a level that Vivaldi doesn't, right? I mean, the ba- the bass line's mm. like the next most interesting thing after the solo line in Vivaldi. But in Bach, it's like it's equal to the concerto soloist, right? It's mm. everything that Bach wrote for a solo voice or instrument is an e- a duet <laughs> between, between bass <laughs> and travel. Um, and maybe, maybe, a, maybe, you know, a fugal quartet so teaching my left hand to play those bass notes um was was 6 months of of re- repetitious practice because i'm such a dope on on keyboard um and then the next level after that was planning when i would play simple chords when i would play something more complicated or when i would play tasto and and gesture, and there's mm-hmm. sometimes that I even gesture with my left hand because I figured there was something I could do just with my right. When I would uh, play bass plus a chord in my left hand, where I would try to not play Tasto, but I needed my right hand to be free. So I spent a fair amount of time actually planning out, sometimes bar by bar or beat by beat. I'm going to get my right hand free here, so I'm going to pass the chord down into my left hand because there's something that I actually need to show here. And having said, people don't expect a gesture when you're seated. There is one way that that's not true, which is if in rehearsals you've always given a certain cue because <laughs> you think that you need to give it, you've created this nonverbal contract with the musicians. Mm-hmm. You're going to get this at this point. And that applies as well when you're not playing, when you're just conducting. If you have always very clearly, for example, executed a retard where you're in full beats and then you're in subdivisions from this beat onward and you've done it the same way, even just twice, if you've done it very clearly twice in a a row, even if in a row means we played that passage and then the next day we played that passage again, if you've done it clearly twice in a row, I think you've created this kind of expectation It'll be that way in the show or, or the next time you get to it. Mm-hmm. And so even if you're seated at the keyboard, if you've done something quite clearly at a certain point, then people come to expect it and even rely on it. And so I, I was conscious of, they're going to get this from my right hand here. Um, so therefore, I better not be playing a note <laughs> <laughs> you know, the beat before because I've got to have my hand in position to prepare. So I did. Um, I usually do quite, th- actually, quite thorough preparation on what my job is, whether it's beating, playing bass, or playing uh, bass plus chord in the left hand, or playing bass plus in the right hand, or whatever it is. I I do probably more planning ahead of that sort of thing than. A fluent keyboardist would need to who would say well i'll play and then you know whenever i've got a hand free i'll do something that that works for <laughs> them and it doesn't work for
2: me yeah so do you play from a national harpsichord part or do you play from a score
1: i have done different things that's a great question um for four seasons i made myself a short score that had like Four Seasons was a separate, was kind of an isolated case because I've got that very, very, very thoroughly memorized from my childhood as a violinist. Um, so I couldn't, I could get away with a short score. I, I could, um, I had, and that I actually wrote out, I entered the entire thing into, it's either using MuseScore or Sibelius at the time, I forget which one, um, entered the entire left-hand part. Wrote in numbers, gave myself a blank staff to occasionally fill in positions where I wanted my chords to be, and gave myself another staff to lay out where main events were in all the other voices, solo and and uh, and accompanying violins and viola parts. But that I kind of had memorized when I did the the, the Vivaldi uh, two trumpets and the Piccolo Concerto and battalion and all that. I can I conducted from scores. I played from scores, and the scores had just a baseline with numbers. And I realized um, the way that you're sort of supposed to um, just just <laughs> from being able to read the numbers. Uh, and I th- think when I did the Bobo de Mori concerto, that I you know, I think I made myself a short score for that also. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the the, um, the only problem with with full scores is needing to turn the pages and <laughs> and be, and needing to be able to to realize the the continua, which um, you know in in again Vivaldi not to put down Vivaldi's harmonies, but y- you sort of know his progressions, and there's nothing that outlandish in there yeah. that you haven't probably seen in another one of his concertos somewhere. So so with Vivaldi, I can actually. Read the numbers, and I don't need to. Need, I don't need to write out a realization line or anything. Mm-hmm. I,
0: okay.
1: uh, I, will, I will tell you one thing about the first time that I did this, which was that Oboe d'amore concerto. This was very vivid. <laughs> I walked out onto to the stage. I think the, the soloist actually went first, so she walked out. I followed her. And I take a step. Past the stage door, and this is in the biggest hall that Virginia Symphony plays in in Norfolk. It's gigantic. It's kind of you know really cavernous and dark out there. I, I took a walk. I, I took my first step past the stage door onto the, into the lights, and when my the first step, I noticed my hands were empty.
0: Thought,
1: <laughs> oh, bleep! You know I I forgot my baton. How could I forget my baton? And I didn't break stride yet because I think, well, you know, I'm entering here. And my second step, I thought, oh, bleep, bleepity, bleep, bleep. I have to play harpsichord in front of all these people. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And then I got over that and we just went and did it. But yeah, it was (laughs) um, for me, as I said, as a violinist and violist who sometimes teaches myself and tries to remember how to, how to play keyboard. It's pretty terrifying. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I like, it's definitely different that you went from conducting into the, into the keyboard instead of the other way.
1: Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, uh, and there's something wrong about that. And I've, and I, (laughs) you know, when it's possible to have, Continual group, you know, that you're not totally squeezed on the budget to have real professionals doing that, and to, you know, stick with what I, <laughs> at least ostensibly, should be able to do. Um, it, it's it's probably better, but it's also, as I said, it's interesting for musicians to have the variety, and um, it exercises, you know, muscles and parts of the brain to to play with no one standing up there on a podium in front of them. I think
2: it's, I think it's usually uh, a net good. Did you, did you find that it was uh, to your benefit? I mean, I imagine it would be, but um, to actually have to know each chord progression going in, did you find that you were more connected with the music that was happening as far as like, not just where it's going, but the overall form and structure and did, did that knowledge of, you know, actually, uh, working with every single chord as a harpsichord player. Did that affect you know phrasing, things that we think about as conductors, but we aren't actually participating in it from the podium?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I did, and I do when I do this, uh, feel more connected to the musician's burden, really, of having to... <laughs> Slice every single one of those notes out of their instruments and out into the air together and in tune. And it made me appreciate the ways that musicians focus on and really care about those details in a positive way. That It's very easy to um, get caught up in, I suppose not caught up to only focus on big picture stuff and mood feeling expression, big picture stuff. And Mm -hmm. meanwhile, you know, your principal oboist wants to go back and get that concert a in tune with your principal trumpetist because they just played it twice and it wasn't right either time. And they're trying to get that pitch. Right. So, yeah, especially things, things like, like ensemble and intonation, um, uh, get put it in the spotlight when you're when you're uh, making the making the notes with your own fingers. Mm-hmm. So
0: yeah, I did yeah. find it productive. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Podium Time podcast. Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or reach out on our website at PodiumTimePod.wordpress.com. Mendelssohn's Italian Symphony was performed by the Czech National Symphony Orchestra, and Beethoven's Egmont Overture was performed by Stefano Legorati.